0: Hi, right, welcome into the Odds and Audibles podcast. On location,
1: we're actually across the way. I'm actually across the way. Hey, Physically, I'm actually I'm diagonal to you, the, one seat away.
0: Uh, we are in Hollywood, uh, in California, in the uh, Greater Los Angeles area, uh, recording this podcast a little differently. So, if the audio is just a little different, apologize. But we're not in our home studio setup, so um, changes are required because we're at Pac-12 Media Day. Uh, Oregon just... I shouldn't say just because it seems like we've been here for a very long time. Um, but they have been selected by uh, media. 40 media members uh, voted on the preseason poll. Uh, Oregon received 17 first-place votes in the North. Washington received 17 first-place votes in the North. And the only difference was... That one point was, you, you was awarded.
1: You mentioned you might have been the uh, the changing vote here.
0: Yeah, I was a little
1: Matt, late. Matt, Matt, Matt thinks Matt thinks he changed the entire like structure of what's happening. I don't
0: know if it's a hundred percent certain, but I was late with my um, Pac-12 picks, and I had I, I submitted my picks I, like a day after they were due. And so Oregon right on time like usual. Yes, and Oregon was awarded first place in the Pac-12 North because they were given 190 total points, and Washington was given uh, 189 total points. So maybe I had like
1: You're the swing vote.
0: That was the swing vote, maybe. Uh, I mean, I, I have Oregon winning the conference outright, and that's where the league's media as a whole disagrees with me. Um, they have the Utah Utes with 33 first place votes in the South Division and 206 total votes uh, to, to claim Pac-12 South champion. Um, Oregon, uh, Utah received, what is it, 12 votes yeah. in the Pac-12 title game. Oregon received 11. Washington received 9. USC received 2. And Washington State received 1. So it I, I think for the first time in a long time, this conference is not like not even a one- or a two-team race. It's legitimately like four, or five, or six teams are viewed as in that tier of
1: who could win the conference championship. Well, we should mention five teams received first-place votes. Uh, Oregon-Washington had 17. Utah had 33 in their division. They separated, so you're picking yeah. basically your... You pick
0: two divisions. Division yeah, champions. you can
1: pick them my division. So the first-place votes aren't necessarily indicative of winning the conference. It's of winning the division. Utah had 33, USC had two, Washington State had one. I forget if I said that or not. So there were five teams that received first-place, first place, I, I guess, uh, representation in this poll. I don't think that's particularly surprising. I think we talked about this a little bit off-air. I think the fact that Utah is the Pac-12 title game champion favorite is is quite surprising. Yes. But we also talked about this. And my point was Utah had more opportunities to get those first-place Pac-12 championship votes because 33 out of 35 voters had them winning the South. Therefore, they had 33 chances to get a Pac-12 championship game vote, whereas Washington and Oregon both had 17. So it'd be interesting to see if it was literally just would you pick Oregon or Washington against Utah, how that would break down. But either way, yeah, it feels really like it could go one of eight directions probably. And, and And looking at the South in particular, like I don't think there's much that differentiates one through Four, maybe one through five in yeah. this division? I feel very confident in myself because you picked it, I picked the exact orders. order, both orders. I mean, Matt Matt really is the trendsetter here. He, he's not. <laughs> only, I think they might have just copied your ballot. They might have they might just made these numbers hey, they,
0: they got the email. I was like, oh, this uh, is the final list? Oh, the final okay. List? just okay, put it
1: in this order, make up a bunch of numbers, and, and it'll be good. Um this could go a ton of different ways, and I think that's what makes the conference this year kind of fun, but also potentially really dangerous, yeah. just in terms of like eating each other up. Yeah, because the last couple of years we've seen this, where the conference hasn't had a, 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 a college football playoff participant, and you look at the way at least the perception is heading into the season, and it's like if the conference is really going to eat itself up, like you just said, and, be, and beat beat each other up, as you know, it's possible that again they get left out just because. Oregon and Washington, one of those teams is going to lose that game. Right. Stanford plays, I think, Oregon at home and Washington on the road. There's, there's just an opportunity for these teams to really kind of cannibalize each other, which I think is going to make for a really fun football season. But unfortunately, because of how the selection process works, could end up costing them, once again, uh, a spot you know, in that final four. And to me, that's potentially a really devastating development, just because the conference is, is obviously in need. Of a, uh, of, of a playoff and that kind of national perception. Yeah, it,
0: it's it's an interesting dynamic because the league, like I said, seems wide open. I mean, Washington and Oregon—one point separates them. It couldn't be closer. And, and it, it's not like Utah was going away uh, than Oregon and Washington. I mean, they they have sixteen more votes, right? You know, 15, 16 more points total. You know, and then. You know, what really surprised me was USC came in fourth. So if, if you were to combine, you know, the two divisions and, mm-hmm. you know, rank everybody by just total points awarded, Utah is first at 206, Oregon is second at 190, Washington is third at 189, and then USC comes in at 167 for fourth. And that kind of, I kind of surprised me. They won me. five
1: I, games last
0: year. I, I, Yeah, I mean, I do know they have a lot of talent. And, you know, look, they have the most talent probably assembled on their roster than any other team in the Pac-12, but they, like you said, they went five and seven last year, and they have coaching turmoil. And you know Clay Helton's coaching for his job, and that you know it's a team under Clay Helton that has historically been sloppy, and they make a lot of mistakes. And and so that's a little bit of a surprise for me. And then you know, I was kind of expecting uh, Washington State you know, to to be a little higher up on the marquee, and you know Mike Leach today said you know. Yeah, people people are thinking we're going to get our heads kicked in every year, and they we don't, and everyone freaks out as we're a surprise team at the end of the year, and everyone gets to have fun. And you know, like once again, fourth in the division, and they are like ninth, tenth, or they're
1: eighth, eighth, eighth. eighth.
0: yeah, eighth in the conference.
1: Mike Leach would do himself quite a lot of good if they could have. Some quarterback continuity because yes. a lot of this has to do with consecutive years of basically turning to a grad transfer. Who has a returning
0: quarterback. quarterback? Oregon, Utah, yeah. USC, Wash, Stanford. Out of the top five, Washington is the only one that has a new quarterback.
1: Yeah, no, it, and, and that's a clear thing. And in, in Washington State, like last year with Gardner Minshew, it's like it's, it's hard to fault the media for questioning their validity as a real conference champion when Minshew was a grad transfer. They didn't know what he was going to be. He certainly didn't have that kind of success at previous stops and so i think washington state is that asterisk team it's interesting they did they finished despite finishing fourth in the north vote they did have one first place vote for the whole conference so clearly somebody's very high on them i wouldn't be shocked at all if it comes out that way leach is arguably and i would say maybe the best coach in the conference um it's probably him or chris peterson and kyle whittingham at at i think it's kyle whittingham okay well so it's one of it's probably one of those three guys certainly the discussion. I wouldn't put it past them at all for making a run at this if they're able to sort out that quarterback situation, which is, again, like, I don't know if you bet against Mike Leach in developing quarterbacks because he's proven he is able to kind of plug and play, pick a guy and then throw him in that lineup. Um, all conference teams were also
0: released, and this is a new one. Um, the league hasn't done this before, and um, the way it was currently constructed, and I can't, I don't have the exact format in front of me, but I do remember some of it. Um, like for quarterback, uh, I was a voter member as this as well and we were supposed to pick two quarterbacks uh, running back there was four um, guys there receiver there was eight players we were supposed to list hmm. uh, no four excuse me four four players for for receiver two for tight end two for center eight for offensive line eight for defensive line uh, six for linebacker and an eight for defensive back so they they didn't say safety's Four corners. You could, you could just pick four corners if you wanted to. There are,
1: uh, there are three out of the four corners. And then, then the a
0: place team. kicker, a punter, and then an all-purpose player. Um, and Oregon had four guys. After the 2018 regular season was over, they had four players make a first team or a second team, all Pac-12. Yeah. Going into 2019 now. Oregon has four players alone on the first team. Justin Herbert is a first-team quarterback. He received 31 of the 33 votes uh, oh, right. possible to make the first team. He is joined by Shane Lemieux and Calvin Throckmorton along the offensive line, which, mind you, Throckmorton wasn't even honorable mention.
1: It's the most ridiculous thing I've ever last seen.
0: Last year, in most 2018. I've said that before. And then the first team he's a, is also yeah. includes Troy Dye on the defensive side of the football I don't think there's any real surprises here. I mean, I had a couple more guys on this list as first-team players, but...
1: I, I feel pretty good about the Oregon representation there. Herbert should be there. Lemieux and Throckmorton are absolutely deserving of that representation. Troy Dye is deserving. I think you could make an argument that maybe Penne Sewell, who we're going to get to him in a minute because he's on the second team, could deserve a spot that I think you voted him there, at least what yeah. you said the other day. Uh, I, I, I think... It's also thing of, like, sample sizes, and he's played seven games. The four other players that are playing that he could have, I guess, were picked over him are all guys who have started for, like, three, four years. Yeah. I mean, these are veteran players. Not shocking he's on the second team. I would get, I would bet he's a pretty good chance of being on the first team when the season ends. But other than that, like, Oregon guys that aren't included here, I, I don't think there's a real it, – it, it, you'd have to be kind of a homer to be like, I think C.J. Verdell should be on here over, you know, Benjamin, right. Zach Moss. Some of the other guys. Actually, surprising. Moss is, is, is the first team running back over J.J. Taylor and Jamar Jefferson. Who both had more yards rushing last year, but that's like a, a small gripe, I guess. Yeah. Uh,
0: second team on on offense and defense for the Pac-12. Uh, Pene Sewell. You mentioned that he's included as an offensive lineman. Um, I think that's maybe the one guy that you could maybe give a little bit of a gripe to yeah. of if you're going to pick one player on you know that should have been on the first team is Penae Sewell. Um, but like you said, you know, Nick Harris. Uh, as a center for out of Washington. And then Trey Adams is uh, a senior out of Washington. And, and then uh, Walker Little is, uh, I believe, a junior. He's a is a former number one over recruit yeah, or something, or top I, five recruit. He's an established star player at his position. That's an older player uh, on the first team. And, and so kind of makes sense there why Penne was second. He was only yeah. a freshman last year, only played in seven games uh, for the Ducks. And then also on the second team, there's two other guys. Uh, Jordan Scott made the second team as a defensive lineman and Thomas Graham made the group as a defensive back. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily anyone out there that you're like,
1: he absolutely needs to be on the second team. We were talking about this earlier. C.J. Verdell would be the guy who would I would argue maybe is most deserving to be on here, but I think it would be, again, you'd be a little bit of a homer to put him over these four running backs, Jamar Jefferson and J.J. Taylor joining Benjamin and Moss on these teams. Javon Holland maybe, but again, he didn't start... Like more than, I think he's started two games last year. He did have a lot of interceptions, but right. there's some pretty good defensive backs in the conference. Jake Hansen is probably one guy that I would argue probably could have been on one of these teams, but I also know. I think actually,
0: the, yeah, I'd forgotten.
1: Hansen. You, you, you could make an argument there, but like I was telling you earlier, I think the Pacto literally had 11 out of 12 schools represented in the Remington Award watch list, which is for the top center, so clearly it's a conference with some depth. So, like, I, I actually think. Looking at this, it's just taking a step back. I don't think there's too many. I think you did a good job, Matt, since you picked this team, right? This is your team? <laughs> yeah, I picked this Matt team. did a good job putting this team together. I just I think the team's actually pretty well constructed from an Oregon perspective.
0: Uh, all honorable mention includes CJ Vardell at running back, Jacob Breland at tight end, Jake Hanson at center, uh, and Dallas Wormack at uh, offensive line, uh, linebacker, no one there for the ducks. Defensive backs includes Javon Holland. No uh Lenore. That would be I, that
1: would be one that I was a little surprised I with.
0: had Diamond Lenore as a second team guy uh in my ballot. Um one that I completely missed on and was Jacob Breland. I had him in on the first team at, at tight end. Um Colby yeah. Parkinson being the second. I guess that was maybe an oversight by me, but I just don't think there's a lot of options at tight end in the conference and Breland's a Going to be basically be a three-year starter.
1: He has more starting experience than either Parkinson or Hunter Bryant, who was from Washington, who's a second-team guy. So you could make an argument there. I think the one thing to watch, there, though, is like it's possible Breland's like not even the first-team tied in by the start of the season because yes, Cam McCormick. But I, 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 think again that that would I think, Giomador not being on the honorable mention is a little bit of maybe a little disrespectful because I think he's probably deserves to be one, considered one of the top ten or twelve corners in the league, which right. is kind of what the, this is constructed. And then Breland. Maybe you should. You could argue he's a second team guy. I, I don't have a huge issue with it, but Hanson to me, the guys that are not on the first or second team, I would say he's the one. I'm kind of like, okay, he probably he probably deserves the Maybes most. Maybe is in there, uh, and then
0: rounding out all purpose, and this is you know a guy that just kind of does a lot of things. Honorable mention uh, Brendan Schooler was included on this list, and
1: he's been a, he's been a first team player at that position each of the last two years. Yes, and I actually didn't even put him there. Well, Matt, if you would have voted here as a Homer voter, you probably could have got him on the first or second team. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, you yeah. know.
1: Well, no love for Brendan. No right?
0: love. I I guess I overlooked the impact that Schooler makes on covering punts and kickoffs. It's a, it's
1: a weird position. To I think made
0: about. I made my my choices based off of who's a guy that's you know either in the secondary and makes a lot of plays and is also active in the return game, or who's a running back or a receiver that's a prominent player in his role, and then also as a prominent return guy, right. special teams player uh, for that. So that's how I, I kind of made my picks my there. But um, overall, from the all-conference perspective, I don't think there really is anything to, to really gripe about. And more so, it's about the, the, the development now that, that they've had the last few seasons, because Like I said, there was four guys on the all-conference team last year, and they have 13 players that received some kind of recognition. Whether it was first team, second team, or honorable mention. 13, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I haven't counted it, and I'm very bad at at doing math while speaking. Um, But it wouldn't surprise me if Oregon had the most representation out of the league on,
1: on these three groups. I'm probably a little better at counting here, but I don't have a pen to tally it up, so it's going to be difficult. But, yeah, I, I, Utah, Utah did have the, Utah most, had the most first-team, first-team guys, players, five. And, they're, and they're, most of those are on defense. I think four out of the five are defensive players. So Utah has like a third of the first-team all-conference yeah. defense and then also has a couple on the second team. So they're very well-respected defensively. Uh, I,
0: I, I put in my – when I was doing my – not to interrupt. but When I was doing my – released my ballot on Monday or Tuesday, I said like – for Utah, like you could, you could tell me that all four defensive linemen for Utah make the all-conference team in some capacity, and three I four. don't know who any of them are, and I'll, I'll believe it because <laughs> because every year they have one of the best defensive
1: lines in the country. Well, they they have three out of they have three players on the defensive line on the first or second team, uh, two on the first, one on the second. They have two out of the four. First team defensive backs. Nobody on the linebacker, so I guess there are issues is at second level. But it's a team Oregon doesn't face uh, yeah. this year, which is maybe one of the. Let's talk about this for a second. I just I picked up on this uh, kind of looking through how things played out and, and looking at kind of Oregon's road struggles. The way this poll is set up, Oregon plays four Pac 12 road games. They're against Washington, Stanford, USC, Arizona State. That's the second and third team in the north, second and third team in the south. Their home games are against teams four, five, and six in the north, and five and six in the south. Yeah, not great, Bob. So, Oregon's basically, like, if you're a home tick, I mean, not to not to poo-poo these teams. We've already said the conference is competitive. Washington State's going to be a good team. That's going to be a fun football game. Cal's right. going to be a good team. That's going to be a fun football game. Arizona and Colorado could be good games, but, like, you're not getting the top teams at, no. at home this year. You're getting literally all the good teams you play are on the road. And it makes it so road. much difficult, because now you have to go on the road and play <laughs> who's at least perceived to be yeah, the, the toughest teams in the league. Yeah. Utah is the only top a uh, uh, five team that Oregon misses basically on their schedule this year, uh, and then plays you know uh, doesn't play on the road, so it's it's a really tough schedule, and, and that was part of the reason why you didn't pick Oregon. I would have I would have said I would have said personally I think Oregon will win it, but I would not have I was on the record saying I wouldn't be shocked if Washington was the favorite, just because Washington has a much more favorable schedule than Oregon, um, and, and I think that matters quite a bit with how this all plays out, but. It's going to be really tough for Oregon, and Mario Cristobal did spend some time today talking a little bit about those difficulties and kind of about how they're trying to simulate putting the team in uncomfortable situations and making them comfortable in uncomfortable situations. And Obviously, with the way the schedule plays out, we didn't even mention they opened the season with Auburn away from home. That's going to be, you know... It a,
0: doesn't impact the
1: conference race, but still, it's but just like, another five, you probably would say the five best teams Oregon plays this year are going to be away from home and, and that's going to make it really challenging and, and I think, you know, Cristobal said they were up for the task, Troy Dye said they were up for that task so, I mean, that's a big, that's a big focal point, I think, of, of this kind of media day is when you look at the way the conference is perceived and you realize that basically all these games are going to be played on the road.
0: All right, welcome back uh, to the Austin Audibles podcast. Uh, Matt and Eric here, and um, let's get into some of the discussions that we've had with people. Yeah. Um, we got some good time with Mario. We got some good time with Justin and, and Troy. Those are the representations Uh Oregon sent. L- ate lunch with them? Yeah. We watched them
1: eat. We watched them. You're right. We ate We lunch. ate separately and then watched the meat. Okay. In we sat of- while they ate. We sat close by while they ate. Yes. Um, I
0: think one of the biggest takeaways from from Mario was, you know, I and I put something on the site already about, you know, the culture flip. Yeah. Cuz that's something that that Troy Dye termed it as is you know, I Dai was one of the guys that was vocal in 2016 about how, you know, players in the program were more worried about looking good and getting the, you know, the extra benefits that come with playing for Oregon of, you know, the sweet gear, the nice uniforms, the extra shoes and all that. Um, and, and I should say these are all, like, legal. Right. Extra
1: benefits <laughs> sounds sketchy. <laughs> yes. So let's say ben- the added benefits <laughs> added of being a student athlete at yes. Oregon, which is all legal and above board, yes. yes.
0: Um, uh, so let's not say that, but, uh... <laughs> yes. And then how you know everything has changed since. And Troy, I described it as it's not even a 180; it's a 360 because the program has drastically changed that much.
1: Which to me doesn't quite compute, but okay. I get I get where he was going for it. Um, and for those who aren't good with like the the, the, the rotation math, <laughs> 360 means you have turned all the way around and now you're facing the same direction you started at.
0: But I guess at the same time, it's he's also saying like they've done a complete you know yeah, it's reversal a, it's of a complete who they change. are.
1: Exactly. And so maybe I do agree with. Them. Okay, I will agree with. I'm mean, they said say they made a 270 degree turn. So now they're like sort of. You're facing. too technical. They turned a long ways, but not all the way. Uh, but you know,
0: both Herbert, both Die, really said that you know that's a huge component for why they feel like this team is going to be better this season is that you know everybody's now fully bought in. And then Justin, you know, the Mario Cristobal, you know, said that. <laughs> You know when you get a guy you know when you get a team that's fully bought in into what you're doing and what your direction you're moving, he said, that's a huge part of a, of a team's success.
1: Absolutely, and it, and it makes sense and, and speaking again with guys around here, and, and I think it's clear why Troy Dye and Justin Herbert were picked it, it to be they're, the they're like the ultimate team leaders. Because they're the ultimate team leader guys. And that's not to say other guys on the team aren't that. We shouldn't yeah. cut anybody out and say that's not the case here. You know, Tomar Winston, Thomas Graham are guys that stand out that way. Uh, you know, And there's certainly guys on the offensive line from Jake Hanson to Shane Mew and, and Calvin Brockman who embody that as well. So we're not saying they aren't, but these two guys I think Christopher I think said as much that part of the these guys are such key players, not only do they're on the field success, but everything that happens off off the field, in practice, in the locker rooms, you know, in, in facility when they're having lunch and getting everything on the right page and these are cornerstone players here that now have are gonna exhaust their eligibility at the end of the season but their mark isn't gonna be done just because yeah. they won't be playing anymore but because they set this program in the right direction along with a really strong senior class. Yeah, Mario mentioned how when he showed up they didn't
0: instantly just start talking what was going wrong with you know, the previous program and what you know how they could fix this and fix that. It was so it was more of a focus on what was working for those schools, you know, for that for Oregon at the time. And focus on that aspect while also adding in your own changes. Instead of, you know, throwing his his term was throwing you know people before him under the bus. Uh, and then he, he said that they've had a lot of former players, they've had a lot of you know former coaches um, come through the program and talk about uh, you know, the culture and you know the work ethic and just what the Oregon football program in the tradition it, it carries. Means to them because he said I had to be educated. I was from you know almost the other side yeah. of the world. I was a boat ride away from from Cuba, <laughs> uh, and you know being able to you know, learn that and instill all that stuff from former players into himself, into his new staff, and into the players he said it's created and you know an idea of Oregon was really really strong. That's what his words were uh, a few years ago, and getting that back, and he said that. You know, Justin and Troy, they came to Oregon when the Ducks were that program. They were that really, really strong,
1: you
0: know, universally feared program by almost anyone in the country.
1: It has to feel like a roller coaster ride for those guys to come in, coming off the Mariota era, to the struggles in 2016, some improvement in 2017. Coaching change. Coaching change again in 2018. An improved year in 2018, I think. 2018 was a crucial year. If that would have felt like they hadn't taken a step in the right direction, I think you, I don't think they're going to be placed where they are today. But to now be considered the favorite to win the division, one of the top favorites to win the conference, that's a, a lot of things that have changed over four years, just in terms of ups and downs. And, and now it seems like, again, like we said earlier, that, that the program under these guys' leadership has headed now in the right direction. Yep. And, and now it's up to these guys to execute on the field this season because it's one thing to be, and this is something that, Oregon players, Washington players, players from all schools that, that we spoke with today kind of mentioned was, this doesn't mean a whole lot. You know, This is just a piece of paper that says Oregon got 190 votes and Washington was second with 189. Like The results on the, on the, on the field are not going to be dependent upon this at all. So while this is a great way to start things now in late July, these teams still have to go through fall camp in August, go through the full season from September to December to determine that they really deserve this ranking that they've been receiving. Yeah,
0: and that was something that Justin Herbert talked about was that you know, Mario Cristobal has done a very good job with this program of acknowledging the preseason hype, acknowledging the individual hype, but reeling everybody back in and looking at them from a full focus perspective of you know, this is all great and this is all awesome, but it means nothing if you don't go out and execute like you just said and, you know, live up to the expectation because if you don't, yep. then, it, it, then it, it flips and it's a negative.
1: Yeah, now it goes from, oh, you guys really underachieved because yeah. you're picked first and you finish third or fourth in the division. One one thing I think that I, t- you know, took away from this was uh, for as good of programs as Oregon and Washington have been and obviously both have kind of had ups and downs, that roller coaster mentality. This is the first time since the conference expanded to twelve teams into two divisions that both teams were at the top of it. I think this rivalry, and I wrote about this on the site. You can go check it out. Um, I think this rivalry is, is kind of taking on it's yep. it's it's a new you know it's a new chapter for it because you now have a scenario and it started last year in Eugene with a heck of a football game, an overtime game. Oregon wins on a CJ Burdell walk off run. I don't feel like heck does heck of a football game does it justice. Okay, what would you be thrilling, exuberating, it, exhilarating? It was, yeah, it was all of that, and I, really well encapsulated by Kayvon Thibodeau <laughs> after the game, like dancing and doing all that stuff. It, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a great baseline game for what this rivalry can be, and I think Troy Dye said something to that effect of, like, this shows that you have to play 60 minutes, and maybe that's a really good football, and that might not even be enough to win in this rivalry, and that he expects it to continue going forward. And uh, uh, Is it Miles Bryant? Is that the, the defensive back? I think yes. I, I'm trying to make sure I got the guy's name right. Uh, from Washington said something similar about how like we're going to be really it's going to be fun to see how both of us you know play out because when we meet in October it could mean a lot and that game's going to mean a lot for both programs and that just means this it rivalry, could decide the north essentially it probably will decide I mean, the north Oregon will
0: play will have already played Stanford I don't have Washington's schedule memorized they won't but, they
1: don't have played Stanford yet
0: but I mean those are the that, that's really the only challenger left right. and for Oregon it, it could decide if, if they're still in the picture or if if they have the driver's seat or if they're knocked out
1: yeah. It, it, Miles Bryant is his name, I believe, I, I think, maybe. I got yes. right. What did you say? I think I said Miles Barrett. I don't know. I'm just trying to remember. The Miles plot. Bryant. Okay. Anyway. Uh, Clearly, cool, I
0: was not listening enough to... You know, you just agreed. It's yeah, okay. yeah, sure, whatever you said. And
1: I might have even said Miles Bryant before. I'm sure and you and did. I, okay, well, maybe I did. We'll have to go back to the tape. Uh, those listening already know what I said and are wondering why we're still discussing what I said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, why can't these guys get over it? Um... But I, I, I just think we're entering a really fun era for for Oregon, Washington, and I think you're, you saw that here with literally like they're basically tied for first in the conference. Basically, and obviously Oregon's going to say we had one point more, so we're first and they're second. But basically tied up there, and, and that sets off what I think is going to be again a really fun chapter for this rivalry because really historically it's been one team's really good, the other team's not as good, and they just beat up on them for decades. Yep. And now we're getting to a point where now both teams are on pretty even footing. And I think there's a chance that this continues to build in something special.
0: Yeah, well, I, I think we'll learn if we're on even footing. True. That's a good point. Because Oregon's recruiting, while it was a heck of, of a statement to go out and get what they they got.
1: Does heck of really give that justice? No, it does not.
0: <laughs> they did a hell of a job going go. out and getting a 2019 class that was best in program history in top 10. Um, outside of that, though, they've, you know, they've. Been good, but they also haven't been elite in terms of recruiting, and right. um, they've had some certainly some, some big gets and some big finds. Um, you know, but we're also going to learn. You know, how has UTEP recruited? Because mm-hmm. I think now we're into a stage where every single player on Peterson's staff or roster is his guy. Mm-hmm. I think last year was the last batch of the Sark players, and. Um, fair or not, Sark had higher rated recruiting classes for the most part did. Than, than Peterson. Now, Peterson's had a ton of studs that he's, he's brought in and he's just a, you know, known as a developer and a good eval guy. Um, but we'll, we'll get a good, clear idea because UW's lost a lot of talent in the last two years and we'll, we'll get a clear indication of just, is this, a, is this just a three or four year run where they hit you know really well or is this a, you know, a prolonged su- success?
1: I'm sorry, people are trying to come up and talk to me because I'm so popular here uh, in oh, Los Angeles. Not me. And, and Matt didn't get a, 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 a piss bump, so I'm sorry, Matt. Some okay. people like me more. <laughs> uh, a couple of things that uh, uh, I think were notable from from Cristobal was team's really healthy. Yep. Justin Collins, uh, walk-on wide receiver is the only Your player. favorite player? My favorite player. I feel like I discovered him. I pointed <laughs> him out in the first day of practice, and I shot a really good YouTube or a shoot video on my phone that I put on Twitter of him catching a touchdown pass in practice and was like this guy's going to be good he um he's the only player right now per Cristobal that is expected to miss uh the opening of fall camp in about when that opens in about 10 days here so everyone else he said is, is expected to be good to go that's a huge positive obviously considering the way uh injuries can impact the season uh and then secondly he spoke and I thought made a couple of really interesting points about how they deal with targeting player weights on the offensive line and, yeah. and I'll probably follow up and do something more on this later but they, he says they treat it like a prized fighter if they, they identify what they want him to weigh then they cut them down to bare bones and let them build themselves up so a guy like uh, Malasala Amave Laulu came in at wow good job I think I got it that might be the best Polynesian pronunciation I've ever had but he came in at 380 he's now listed at 313. That's a 67-pound weight loss. But Cristobal says CD really needs to get up to about 328, 330. So they're in that fluctuation process with these guys. I think that's something that's really interesting because, obviously, we've identified that Cristobal on the recruiting trail, they've gone after some humongous human beings. Now we're kind of starting to feel, get a feel for what they're trying to do a little bit more so that'll be something that we'll, we'll kind of look into and probably try to write about going forward but I found that to be sort of interesting
0: yeah we'll have a lot more stuff we up on duckterritory.com we actually have a lot more that we haven't even discussed Yeah. on the podcast that, that that's already on the site we've got full videos um, so we've got a lot of stuff there I, I highly encourage you to go to it uh, we'll have a lot more stuff in the next couple of days on the site as well uh, and Eric I don't know if you know this
1: or not but fall camp starts in about a week nine-ish days, depending upon when you're listening. August 2nd. It's it's crazy, but I am i can't. I, fall camp's one of my favorite parts of this job. And then you'll hate it like three weeks in. Yes. The first 10 or 12 practices, though, are some of them my favorite because you see these guys that we've written about, these 20 or so recruits that we've written about and they're talked about how they're going to be good. And then they're actually at practice. You kind of get to see who's actually for real, who's maybe a little bit better than we expected, who's a little bit worse than we expected. And then you get to see these position battles play out, and in Oregon returns 10 of 11 starters on offense and 7 on defense, so there's not a ton of position battles, but wide receiver remains a question mark, I think you've got some, uh, Cristobal was asked a little bit about right guard and right tackle, about how they might shift some stuff around, we'll have something on that on the site, defensively, linebacker, defensive You didn't line. even tell me that, that's, wow. a, that's intriguing. It's intriguing, well, and that's right, I'm keeping scoops even from oh, Matt no. uh, for later, but, uh, I think it's going to be a really fun fall camp, and with now with with all that's kind of on the line, it's going to be a really important fall camp for these guys because again they open the season. They're very very good football team Dallas. in Dallas, Texas.
0: Uh, that's going to do it for the Austin Audibles podcast. For Eric Spopel and myself, Matt Brain, Thanks for listening, uh, and we will talk to you again soon. Adiós amigos.